Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. On September 14th, 2014, Cassie Compton, a 15-year-old girl from Stuttgart, Arkansas, was hanging out at her friend Hunter's house, her home away from home. Cassie was just months away from her 16th birthday, and despite her troubles at home, which were plentiful, she was trying to figure out a way to grow up in the world. Hunter drove her home that night, dropping her off before making the 30-minute drive back to his place. Cassie's mother, Judy Compton, was sick in bed but heard Cassie come in. Her mom's fiancé, Brandon Lee Rhodes, was home cooking dinner. He said she stayed for a few minutes and then left again, but he was unsure where she was going. He did remember that she had her cell phone in her hand, but was known to never have a charger with her. Cassie walked out the door that night and would never be seen or heard from again. Where is Cassie K. Compton? Hello, and welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. First and foremost, if I sound a little different, I did just have jaw surgery, and I do feel my pronunciations sound a little off, but I feel good, and I still want to get this story out there to you. This story of Cassie K. Compton is extremely disturbing and covers some very sensitive topics including sexual abuse and sexual predator behaviors by a few different people in Cassie's life. If this is a sensitive topic for you, or if you feel this may be triggering, this might not be a story that you want to hear. I'm not going to go into great detail into those areas of the story, but I do want to get her story out there in some fashion as she was just a 15-year-old beautiful girl who had such a tough life and home situation. Our goal of the Where Are They podcast is to tell the stories of the missing, unsolved missing persons cases out there. It's a very, very, very low percentage of missing persons that actually make the media and get the attention they need. If you know of a case that needs more media attention or you would like to see covered, please send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com. I'll also have that linked in the show notes. I'm also happy to announce that we have a new podcast sponsor for this episode, and I'm so excited to share them with you. It's an amazing art gallery in Austin, Texas, that sells Native American art created by the Native community. And I just love it, especially coming off of our month of featuring missing Indigenous women. But the art and prints themselves are so unique and original and beautiful and would make great Christmas or holiday gifts. 
I'm going to talk about them more shortly, so stay tuned. But let's jump into the story of Cassie K. Compton. Sometimes people ask me about why I think certain cases go viral and get more attention than others. And as I've said before, I think there are many factors that go into that. But this is one of those cases that I feel should have been one of those that went viral. It's angering. It's a young teenage girl. It's suspicious. It has all the markers of a media story, but yet it received so little media coverage. In fact, it would make some headlines briefly, thanks to TikTok, earlier this year in January of 2021. So who was Cassie K. Compton? Cassie was born December 4th, 1998 to mom Judy and dad Roy. She has at least four half-siblings that I could verify, and her dad, Roy, and these siblings lived in Oklahoma. When Cassie was young, she and her mom moved to Stuttgart, Arkansas. Cassie was a quiet and shy kid, but not without problems. Both her mother and father were registered sex offenders, and that's where things get ugly. Cassie's father, Roy, was convicted of inappropriate sexual conduct with a minor, lewd acts with a child, and indecent proposals to a minor. That minor being Judy's older daughter from a previous marriage, but still a child. Within that same case, Judy was also charged. And her story was that she needed to take a plea deal to just get probation, so that's what she did, causing her to plead to sexual misconduct and thus having to become a registered sex offender herself. I don't want to judge Cassie's mom here, but I'd have to think there was some evidence pointing to your guilt in order to take a plea that still requires you to register as a sex offender. Otherwise, wouldn't you try to fight it in court? Especially as a mother to one of the victims. We don't know a whole lot about Roy, so I did do a little digging on his background in Oklahoma, and he has one of the longest rap sheets I've ever seen. In multiple counties within the state of Oklahoma, as of today, he is currently incarcerated. He has charges of failure to pay taxes, driving without insurance, DUIs, and several of a sexual nature. Lewd acts with a minor, indecent exposure, sexual misconduct, etc., etc. It seems like Roy has made himself a lifelong criminal, and this was Cassie's father. Being that Cassie lived in Arkansas, however, I don't know how close she was with her dad or even how often they spoke. As Cassie grew up and became a teenager, she started to branch out a little bit. She started smoking and would dye her hair different colors, and she was just trying to express herself and become her own person. At age 13, she was diagnosed with bipolar depression, and although she was given medication to take for that, she supposedly didn't like it and would flush it down the toilet. She was struggling in many ways and would be homeschooled. However, by the time she was 15... She had decided to just pursue her GED instead of her high school diploma. We really don't know why, if school was a struggle for her or if perhaps it was just a lack of guidance and support at home. 
But that was Cassie's goal to eventually get her GED. And at 15, that seems so young to just relinquish yourself to that instead of trying for your diploma. But I do know there's a lot going on here that we don't know about. Cassie's mom, Judy, on the other hand, seemed like another troubled soul in Cassie's life, or at least in the way she picked her boyfriends. In 2014, she was dating a 25-year-old man named Brandon Lee Rhodes. Brandon was 17 years younger than Judy, but their relationship seemed fine. Except for the fact that Brandon and Cassie did not seem to get along. There was also the fact that Brandon himself was no stranger to the legal system and found himself on the wrong side of the law often. Judy was considered disabled, but again, we have no facts as to identify what her disability is or was. She lived in a small Section 8 house in Stuttgart, Arkansas with Cassie and eventually Brandon, who moved in with them. During this time, Cassie spends a lot of time at her friend Hunter's house. Hunter Snyder lived 30 minutes away, but he and his mom, Tracy, welcomed Cassie over any time because they knew she had a tough home life. We can speculate on what that might mean, but we don't really know many details. But Cassie was unhappy there and was welcomed with open arms at Hunter's house, where she often would spend days and even nights there. On Friday, September 12th, 2014, Cassie had been suffering from a bad cold and supposedly went to the doctor. But by that evening, she felt well enough to go out and Cassie wanted to do normal teenager stuff despite the fact that she was not in school. And so on that night, she went to the local high school football game with some friends. She would spend Saturday, September 13th at her friend Hunter's house, going to the Derby in DeWitt, Arkansas and spending the day with his family. She would then spend the night at the Snyder's house. On Sunday, September 14th, Cassie would spend the day again with the Snyder family, just hanging out and having a chill day, as they would call it later. Hunter drove Cassie home around 6 p.m. and dropped her off. Her mom was laid up in bed that night because she wasn't feeling well. She was on pain patches, which allegedly made her feel very sick. So Cassie came into the home and Brandon was cooking pancakes for him and Judy. Now there are really two different versions of what happened next. Story number one. Brandon asked Cassie if she had any cigarettes and she told him she did not. He told Cassie he needed to go and get smokes then and he was going to borrow Judy's car even though he didn't have a license and he'd be right back. Cassie told him she needed some too, and Brandon drove off. Cassie's mom, Judy, said she never saw Cassie that night. She heard her come in and heard her go into her bedroom, but Cassie never came into her room, and Judy was too sick to go check on her. But there was really no reason to be alarmed about anything. It was just a normal evening. When Brandon returned with the cigarettes, Cassie said that she couldn't smoke that kind, and she would just go out and get her own. She said she was going to the store and walked out the door with her black LG cell phone in her hand. He said he saw her texting as she walked out, and we would later learn that she had texted Hunter, just telling him that she was headed out for a smoke. Cassie wouldn't be seen or heard from again, and both her mom and Hunter's mom would report Cassie missing the next day. Okay, so that's one version. Here is story number two. 
Cassie came home and Brandon was cooking pancakes, which he took to her mom in bed because, again, she was too sick to get up. Cassie asked Brandon if he had any smokes, and he said he did not. He'd have to get some. She said, nah, I'll just go out and get myself some. She had only been home for a few minutes when she left, again taking just her cell phone with her. Cassie then sent Hunter that text saying she was going out for a smoke. A few minutes later, Brandon told Judy that he was going to go out and run to the store as he was out of cigarettes. Later, Judy said that he was gone for one, possibly two hours. When he returned that evening, she said he went straight to the bathroom telling Judy he was sick. The next day, Judy texted and called Cassie several times, but her phone was going straight to voicemail and she wasn't getting any responses. Brandon said that was probably because she didn't take her charger with her. So you can see these stories are similar but different, at least with the accounts of what Brandon does on the evening of September 14th. What we do have is Cassie coming home Sunday evening around 6.45 p.m. Sometime around 7 p.m., just minutes later, she texted her friend and said she was going out for a smoke. Now, around 9.15 that night, Brandon called the Snyders, Hunter's family, to see if Cassie was there. They told her she was not, and they didn't understand why he was calling and asking, as they had dropped her off a couple of hours earlier, and Hunter said he watched her go in the home. In fact, he said that Brandon himself was outside on the porch when Cassie walked inside. But Hunter noticed that Brandon didn't say anything to her. Brandon called the Snyders two more times that night, and both times Tracy told him if he was that concerned, he really needed to go to the police. The third time he called Tracy and the Snyders, he told her that he did go to the police. He rode his bike to the police station, but they sent him home, telling him he had to wait 72 hours before he could report her missing. Interesting to note, there is no confirmation that this actually happened. There's no record of his visit at all, but I guess that doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. So now Cassie is missing and people are acting strangely. Since Brandon had come into their lives, Cassie had run away twice before, staying gone three to four days each time. But for some reason, this time seemed to cause more worry in everyone, particularly Brandon and Judy. Perhaps it was because she never answered the phone when Judy tried to reach her, or maybe because someone knew more than they were saying. And there really was cause to worry that night and the next day, as Cassie Compton is never seen or heard from again. Now, before we dive into the search for Cassie and the investigation into her case, I want to take a quick break to tell you a little about our sponsor this week, the Wild W-Y-L-D Art Gallery. If you love Native American art or if you know someone who does, I have the perfect holiday gift idea for you. The Wild Art Gallery in Austin, Texas has the most amazing artwork. They have fine art, posters, and prints for all budgets, all depicting or representing the Native American lifestyle and all created by Native American artists. 
And don't worry, you don't need to live in the Austin area. They do ship nationwide. You can view their art at their website, wild.gallery. That's W-Y-L-D. I couldn't decide on a favorite because there are so many spectacular pieces on there, but I absolutely love American Still Life Stars of a Nation by Tillier Wesley. It's an unframed print available for just 50 bucks, and you have to see it for yourself. The detail is stunning. Check out the stars in the background of the painting. They all contain Native American portraits inside them. The more you look at this piece, the more intricate details you find in this print. I also love Ghost Rider State One by Rance Hood. Rance Hood is another Native American artist, and his works have even been featured in the Smithsonian Institute of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. Ghost Rider captures the movement of a horse and rider so eloquently and beautifully. I've been checking out their website daily now since I learned of them, and I can say, since some of the pieces are a one of a kind, if you see one you like, you better grab it. Visit wild.gallery to check out all of their artwork and find a unique and special holiday gift for someone in your life. Or for yourself, I won't tell. Enter your email on the website when prompted and get 10% off. I'll link to their website in the show notes and our social media so you can check them out. That's wild.gallery, W-Y-L-D dot gallery. Remember, supporting our sponsors does help support the show, and I truly think you will enjoy checking out the Wild Art Gallery. So Cassie Compton is officially reported missing on Monday, September 15th by both her mother, Judy, and by Tracy Snyder, who was now also very concerned. But because of her history of running away, that is exactly what police believe happened, at least in the beginning. No Amber Alert is issued because there is no evidence that Cassie was abducted or in any immediate danger. And police don't have much to go on, but they did have some suspicions of both Brandon and Judy, especially looking at their criminal history. As time went on and there was still no sign of Cassie, they did start watching Brandon and Judy and even pinged their cell phones. Now, they haven't named any other names specifically, but they did say there were other persons of interest they were looking at also. On October 3rd, authorities did confiscate both Brandon and Judy's cell phones. On October 4th, whether related to the phones or not, law enforcement says they received information and they were going to search an area near the Casco, Arkansas and Elmira, Arkansas areas. It was labeled a recovery mission, but no further comments were made on that. Is it coincidence that it happened one day after the seizure of the phones? Possibly, as maybe that meant they were just turning up the investigation during that time. Maybe that's why they went to get the phones in the first place. But I can't help but think that there just might be a connection there. Casco is about 15 miles from Stuttgart, a 20-minute drive, and the area between Casco and Elmira, Arkansas, was said to be the focus. While Casco is east of Stuttgart, Elmira is south of Casco, forming a triangle if you look at the areas on the map. There is a small airport in that vicinity too, and that area was searched very well also. 
Some people also reported seeing law enforcement search an area known as Bayou Bridge. Nothing from any of those searches brought them any answers. A week later, Judy kicks Brandon out of their home. October 11th, Brandon allegedly leaves and begins squatting at a vacant house, an act for which he would be arrested for on October 19th. On October 12th, an organization known as Class Kids brings volunteers into search. They specifically concentrate on areas where Brandon was known to ride his bike. This included reservoirs and local railroad tracks. They also searched two dump stations. Apparently, one was a rice hull dump and another was a coal ash dump station. But again, nothing. A local resident also reported seeing Brandon loitering in and around a cemetery, and that was also searched, but still no clues. Authorities would seize Judy's car, but again, no evidence. Police have stated multiple times that both Judy and Brandon are definitely considered persons of interest. Take a listen to a clip of an interview with Judy, Cassie's mom. We've had no luck whatsoever. Enough questioned people, friends that she hung out with, and they hadn't seen her. They said they hadn't seen her. I can't imagine. Where she went. I don't know if she even left the driveway. What do you mean by that? When she walked out the door, I don't know. You know, if she... Maybe was taken by somebody. You know, before she got out of the driveway. Ever cross your mind that maybe he might have had something to do with this? I never thought that he would have anything to do with it. He looked at her like his daughter, you know? And if he did, it would be shocking to me. But she does remember what Brandon was doing. He was in the house and he was cooking dinner. That's what he was getting ready to do whenever she came home was cook supper because I was really sick. Brandon has been in and out of prison, but during an investigation, a private detective and a reporter teamed up to try to get some answers from him. This part is really interesting, and I believe they put out a podcast in 2019 called Timeline with some more of these details. But listen to a letter that the reporter received from Brandon while he was in jail. This is from the interview that aired with KATV. Dear Cable Lafferty, I recently received your letter. I would deeply like to speak to you at your convenience. You would have to come to the Independence County Jail. However, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring closure to Judy and once and for all put this Cassie case to a close. There's only so much a man can keep bottled up inside of him. Thanks for your interest, and I hope to hear from you soon. God bless, Brandon Rhodes. Brandon was in jail at that time, booked on a charge of conspiracy to commit murder. 
This is completely unrelated to Cassie's case, but rather something that happened at a local bar one night. I really hate to make unfair judgments without really knowing someone, but I think we can probably all agree that this Brandon Rhodes is a shady character and another career criminal, just like Cassie's biological father, Roy. And this is the kind of guys Judy Compton apparently chose to be fathers to her children. It's no wonder Cassie had such a rough childhood and home life. There's probably so much more that Cassie knew and saw and maybe even experienced so much that we'll never know. The reporter that received that letter did contact Stuttgart police immediately, and the investigator had this to say about Brandon Rhodes. I was there the, the, the morning that she was reported missing. And, you know, it's like anything else. You think, all right, she's mad. She left. We'll find her. And it, it just went sideways from there. Stayed the night with family, friends, and came home on Sunday. The mother and the boyfriend were there. She went in. She left a few minutes later. And that's where the mystery starts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't just say, but yeah, that uh, that's a unique individual. You can tell he is choosing his words wisely, but you can definitely sense his feelings and thoughts on Brandon Rhodes. The reporter tried a few times to visit Brandon in jail, but has been unsuccessful. In 2018, Judy would marry a man by the name of Mike Kimsey and become Judy Kimsey. She still goes public occasionally with pleas for her daughter. She still does not think that Brandon Rhodes had anything to do with her disappearance. Judy does believe that Cassie was the victim of foul play, but more likely crime of opportunity, such as a passerby that saw her walking that evening. In early of 2021, the case would go on to make headlines, even more so than when it had first happened. And that was because... A TikTok video that people believe Cassie was in went viral. In the video, a young girl is sitting in the back of a car with a bruised face, runny makeup, and looking disheveled. People immediately believed it was Cassie. They started calling in tips to law enforcement and even posting like crazy on Judy's personal Facebook page and the Find Cassie Facebook page. People 100% believed it was her and told Judy as much. The video was posted by a man named Miles Baker from Minnesota. And despite people's absolute certainties that this was Cassie, it was discovered that it was not, as the girl in the video would come forward shortly after and identify herself. This is the danger when the public does jump the gun. I understand saying that you think you see a resemblance to someone or sending the video to law enforcement and family so they can look into it. But the damage you can do when you repeatedly say you are certain 
you see a missing loved one to a family can be intense. There is one person in Cassie's family who without a doubt grieves every day, and that is her brother, Chris Newcomb. Chris has said he was fairly close to Cassie and just hopes and prays that someday they will have answers. Chris has said also that Cassie used to confide in him about her dislike for Brandon and how unhappy she was living in the home with him. So what really are the theories in this case? I think we can all agree that one theory holds a lot more merit than others. But in any case, until we have exact answers, we have to keep an open mind. So theory number one, did Cassie run away? She had a history of running away. Did she do it again? Did she need to escape the lifestyle that she was stuck in? But if that's the case, where did she go? How did she get there? How is she surviving? And it kind of seems unlikely that she wouldn't have confided to the Snyder family or even her brother, Chris. Or theory number two, was she indeed picked up by a stranger that night after she left the house? Was it a crime of opportunity? Have they abducted her and kept her? Or did they abduct her only to get rid of her? And theory number three, Brandon Rhodes. I think everybody here agrees this seems like the most likely scenario. The biggest question I have here is how is this man who seemingly isn't that bright, how is he able to do something to Cassie and with Cassie that no one has been able to uncover? Meaning, where is she? And also, did Judy have knowledge of what was going on or what had happened? Or Is she completely innocent in all of this and truly doesn't know anything? What do you think happened to 15-year-old Cassie Compton? Cassie K. Compton disappeared on September 14th, 2014 from Stuttgart, Arkansas. She is described as being a Caucasian girl, 5 foot 3 inches tall and about 100 pounds at the time she went missing. She had dyed blonde hair, blue eyes, and might have been wearing a blue spaghetti strap top, blue and white plaid shorts, and blue and gray cowgirl boots with a two to three inch heel. Cassie has a dark colored heart-shaped birthmark on her upper left arm and a scar on the left side of her face beginning at the cheek near her nose. If you know anything about the whereabouts of Cassie Compton or have any information at all regarding her case, please contact the Stuttgart Police Department in Arkansas at 870-673-1414. Such a weird story and so tragic that this 15-year-old girl had to endure so much. Please share Cassie's story any way you can and get her name out there. People need to be talking about Cassie until she's brought home. Thank you so much for listening to Cassie's story and tuning into this episode of Where Are They? I have put contact information in the show notes, so please reach out with any feedback, information, or other case suggestions you may have for us. We are going to continue to get out these missing persons cases, both big and small. Everyone is someone's loved one. 
Thank you also to the Wild Art Gallery for sponsoring today's show. I'll also put their link on our social media pages and in the show notes as well. Go find an amazing Christmas gift and support the Native American community. We will be back again next week with another Unsolved Missing Persons episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones. Thank you.